is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on the Podbean app. You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash healingpaths. That's path with an S. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm John T. And I'm Jackie P. Um, before we dive into the episode today, uh, family of origin intensive. Yes, so we've got the, um, I've mentioned this before, we've got the One Layer Deeper Family of Origin Intensive coming up. Uh, that'll be Thursday, February 28th through Sunday, March 3rd. And you can go on our website, One Layer Deeper, spelled out, um, and we have actually the schedule. Um, and kind of what we're going to be doing blocks of time so you can see that. Um, It's got the cost and what's included in that cost. So if you have questions, you can also schedule a call with Amy or myself from that website too if you have additional Mm -hmm. questions that you want to ask. And there's still seats left. Right, we do still have seats left. Yeah, great. Um, So speaking of family of origin, we're back on our series about uh, repairing and healing recovery with your children. Yes, and um, this time we are in the teens. Yeah. So like 13, I think, 14 to 18. Yeah, so just notice when Jackie said we're in the teens, notice how your body responded <laughs> because it probably told you a little bit about your biases, and we'll start there. Yes. I, I think it's important, right? So many people uh, are, are scared to death for the teen years mm-hmm. um, when their kids are young. Um, a lot of times they're kind of white-knuckling through the teen years. I think I do think teens get a bad rap. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be this difficult thing. There's going to be um, some developmental milestones that the teens are going to hit that can, can we can bump up against and can cause some mm-hmm. conflict or tension. Um, but understanding what's needing to be accomplished during the teen years, what's happening for the teens, how to make those repairs, yeah. and how to... Um, keep uh, an impact in their life or or be in this place where and I think sometimes for the teens they're giving you yeah. right so how do I get them to give me this opportunity to influence them mm-hmm. for them to care what I think mm-hmm. um, even though they're only going to care to a certain point and it looks yeah. like they care more about what their friends think the teen years we don't have to dread them yeah and yeah. there's parts of the teen years that can be delightful yeah, I've, I've actually, granted these haven't been my own children, but I, I think some of my most rewarding volunteer and work experiences have been with teens. Yes, like and you've, you've helped parent my teens. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's, so much, there's so much life and there's so much going on. It's a really exciting time. And, and one, one myth we'll throw out there now that we're not going to, we're not going to fall into this myth. Um, there is no teenage brain. So this is one of the ways uh-huh. that we... Like, I think discount teens, like, oh, that's just the teen brain. Um, there is no teenage brain. Mm-hmm. We can't actually even look across cultures and say these are the developmental milestones for uh-huh. all teens because it's very culturally based. And what we see that may be brain-based is more, it, it's like it's like saying there's a two-year-old brain mm-hmm. and an adult brain. It's really the same brain. It's just developing. Right. So we're looking at teens in a different stage of brain development, body development, and um, depending on the culture that you're in, those developments will have different significance and yeah. mean different things. And with the teen years, right, often I think of the teen years as an expression or a manifestation or feedback of what has already taken place in their yeah. life. Yeah. And so not a whole lot starts in the teen years, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It just 
manifests itself. Mm-hmm. Now, this maybe your teen experiences a traumatic event, a friend dying, a rape, something mm-hmm. like that in the teen years, right? Obviously, that's starting in the teen years, mm-hmm. and we are going to have to look at that. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, the teen years are giving parents feedback. This is, this, this is what your parenting and my time in this family has gotten us. Yeah, so we would invite you to take it as feedback. Yes. And as we've said several times about feedback, there's no good feedback or bad feedback. There's just feedback. It's just feedback. So um, this this isn't the final product. This is the feedback stage, and there's opportunities for things to change. Right. So if there's a rift between you and your teen and there's tension in the relationship, that can actually be addressed. Uh-huh. That can be healed. And instead of looking at, we've got this teenager that needs to change, right? Because you mm-hmm. and I have both worked with teens where the parents show up and drop the teen off mm-hmm. and are like, fix this child mm-hmm. because it's obviously not us. We're great. Yeah. Um, you may need to, I used to do this um, exercise, especially when I worked with families, right? And, and you'd have, I don't know, anywhere from uh, four, five, six, seven people in the room, depending on how large the family was. And, and there were times the family would get stuck, right? Mm-hmm. And there was an obviously identified black sheep in the family who typically was the client. Mm-hmm. And I may say to that client, hey, Joe, or hey, Jane, because um, maybe they've taken an uncomfortable chair, right? Yeah. And I'll say to them, because, you know, sometimes you're bringing in folding chairs to get mm-hmm. enough, right? And then there's some more fluffy, comfortable chairs. And I'll say, hey, are you comfortable in that chair? Would you like to switch? Right? And oftentimes, and sometimes I even prep them for this, um, and they'll say, yeah, I, I want that chair. And they'll stand, and I'll say, go ahead and take it, right? And they stand up, and they kind of go to another person in the family, and they're like, I want your chair, so obviously you have to stand up, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe that person's like, well, I don't want that chair. But they stand up, and you're like, do you want to sit in the folding chair? And they're like, well, no, not really. Okay, well, what chair do you want, mm-hmm. right? And, and you get the family all moving chairs, mm-hmm. right? And the goal of this is... We in a family system, there's ripple effects, mm-hmm. and we just need a change to happen. We just yep. need somebody willing to say, "I'm going to stand up and switch chairs." Yeah, this is something I've been I've been reading and studying a lot about, and um, I'm really coming to see the validity of this statement. It only takes one person to change the dynamic mm-hmm. of a relationship, mm-hmm. and, and as, then everybody else has to adjust. Yeah, and as as the parent in the relationship, we would we would invite you. In this episode, if there's repair to be done with your teens, look at what you're bringing to the interaction uh-huh. and how you can change the nature of the relationship by changing yeah. how you interact with your teen. I had this one family where um, at the end of everybody moving, dad was left with the uncomfortable chair and started out with one of the more comfortable chairs. And he looked at me and he said, Jackie, it's clear that nobody in this room wants this chair. Could you get another chair? <laughs> and I was just like, like good novel, for you. Novel idea. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I love this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of the first places or one of the next places I want to go is um, I have always been astounded in the work that I do with teens. And I actually, I just had an experience with this on New Year's Eve. Um, we took our boys to go see Into the Spider-Verse, which by the way, we're not sponsored by them, but it's amazing. I hear that. And I go see it. it. Um, so we're walking through the mall where the theater is, and I run into this boy that I met when he was 12. I was a volunteer in an organization. He was he was part of this organization. So I met him when he's 12. He's like 19 or 20 now. Mm. And um, I remember I, I interacted with him in the way that I interacted with most of the teens. It was like mostly this goofy, like, 
older brother friendship kind of thing. And then we would have these moments where it would open up and there'd be a lot of heart and like mm. mentoring and, and things. And um, I've, I've kept in contact with him kind of on and off, but we ran into each other and he immediately recognized me. I haven't seen him in about a year. So he's... Oh, that's good because you look different. I mean, yeah. maybe not facially, but yeah. yeah. I don't have hair anymore. Um, so he recognized me immediately. I It took me a minute to click who it was because he's a lot taller now mm. and he's a lot broader than he was before. Um and he said, hey, how's it going? And he came and he gave me a big hug. And um, we were talking and I was asking him how things were going. And it, it it was incredible to me knowing this kid as a 12-year-old who um, would really kind of keep the... He, he would keep his family mythology alive, even mm-hmm. though you could see that there were problems. Immediately he said, and his dad died about a year ago. That's the last time I talked to him. I went to the funeral, gave him a call. And he said, it's not going well. My mom's kind of gone off the deep end. I actually ended up moving out. Mm. And he, in this very adult way, goes into, here's what's happening in my life. And, um, you know, it was time for us to go to the movie. And I said, it was really good to see you. And um, we need to go to lunch sometime. And he said, I'm open any Saturday. And so I texted him right after the movie, kind of expecting him not to hear back from him. And he said this day sounds great. Like let's Mm. go get lunch. And I've been reflecting. We're actually going to lunch this Saturday. Um, I've been reflecting like how surprising it is, how deep things go for him Mm. and watching him grow from 12 to he's now a 20 year old Mm -hmm. man. And I I think that's really common in these teenage years, the the depth and the feeling and the way that they think about things that can be surprising sometimes. Right. Um, And I would encourage you as a parent in making these repairs and, and looking at this with your family, leave room for those surprises and leave room yes. for that depth. I have to say, I've, I've talked about uh, my kids before and, and one daughter number three particularly is just kind of this crazy energetic has been since birth, um, person. And it surprises me. Um, and I love it. And I, you know, I, I love when these moments come up, the depth that she has, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Cause you would think maybe that she's pretty just shallow and superficial cause she, is always go, go and mm-hmm. whatever. And, and, and yet she has these moments where you're just like, there is so much going on yeah. there and you can't discount really anybody Yeah, because I think in the teen years, it is the opportunity for the first time for things to go deep. Now that mm-hmm. may not look like what it looks like at 35. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's an opportunity there and, and what they are capable of mm-hmm. is often more than we give them credit for. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things I've learned to respect in working with teens when they talk about being in love with a boyfriend or girlfriend, uh-huh. it's real love. Yeah. It, it's not this teen version and maybe one day you'll understand. Yeah. Or when they talk about being angry, it's not irrationality and they're just not seeing right. things in an adult way. They're really angry. Yes. Um, or I have my youngest is vegan mm-hmm. and has been for a couple of years and it's often, it's surprising sometimes when adults, like when they figure it out or something and they'll say to me like, oh, she's vegan. Mm-hmm. Like it's this trendy, you know, and I'll say, yeah, she is. How long has she been that? Like, and I'll say actually a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. And, and they're like, oh, that's quite a pain. And I'm like, well, I have had to, right? Cause she's one of the ones that is still living at home. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, it's required us to change some things mm-hmm. as to how we cook and what food is around. She also has gotten into cooking right Mm -hmm. so she's taking some responsibility for her food um and just that people are like 
they, they don't think that a 15-year-old is capable of making those choices yeah. for reasons other than it's a fad or mm-hmm. it's a trend. Their friends are doing it. Yeah, and, and you know, and none of her friends were doing it. And, um, and just to to respect that and be like, she's trying that on. I don't know if that's going to be a lifestyle Mm -hmm. for her. I have no idea what that's going to look like, but we need to be respectful when they're starting to try these things on and say, this is important to me that we don't roll our eyes and think, Oh, this is a phase. Teens get a rap for being moody and emotional and volatile. And I, I don't think that's really useful in having good relationships with them to see it through that lens. Right. Um, and so being able to recognize there's real development and there's real experimentation and exploration uh-huh. going on. Yes. Um, and I think it can even be helpful to, and I often do this with the, the parents that I work with, go back to when you were a teen. Like what kind of father, what kind of mother could you have used uh-huh. when you were going through right. some of this stuff? And for a lot of the parents, um, there's a lot of projecting that's happening onto yeah. their teens, right? That this was d- really difficult for me and so I'm scared we're going to go there or yeah. or I I just can't tolerate this from them because mm-hmm. I have so many wounds there mm-hmm. and so I, I end up looking very dismissive to my teen mm-hmm. and it really is about my wounds. Yeah, and that, that brings us, I think, to a, a really important point. We've talked at each stage about the projection. Mm-hmm. Particularly in the teen years, a lot of my adults who have um, been working on recovery from addiction, they fear that their teen is becoming an addict. Right. Um, clinically, as a construct, um, we don't diagnose teens with addiction. Right. Um, because there's a lot of age-appropriate behaviors. There's a lot, like experimenting, taking risks, uh, like being really sexual. Uh-huh. Zoning out. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of age-appropriate behaviors, and, and I, I see with a lot of these parents, there can be a high level of anxiety, like all they want to do is play video games and watch TV or all they want to do uh-huh. is be on their phone talking to their friends. Like my kid's an addict and they'll lay out, well, I know this because I da, 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 da. Right. Um, and, um, and that, that life wisdom that we have as an adults who have mm-hmm. already been there only goes so far. Right. And right. sometimes we think it, it is more valuable mm-hmm. than it is. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would look at whatever perception you have of your child. If it's evoking intense amount of fear, I think it's really important to examine, is this level of fear appropriate uh-huh. for what's going on? Right. Um, because I think especially in the teen years, um, as this child is emancipating and becoming their own person, when you react to them with overt fear, they're probably less likely to cower, like maybe when they did when they were five. Uh-huh. Um, and they're probably more likely to push you hard. Right. Um, and so taking some time to evaluate, what is this about for me? Why am I yes. so scared? Why am I worried about this? Um, talk to other parents, talk to people in your recovery Uh circles, talk to your therapist, talk to your spouse, Um, really get some perspectives because um, I think it's really important to be careful with the emotions, the raw emotions Uh you bring into your relationship with your teen. Yeah. Um, And, and I just think um, this may be a generalization, but during the teen years, right. I, and I remember reading about this. I've read it from several sources as a mother and thinking, well, that sucks for the mom. And I think Maybe it does. I don't know. But I think we have to look at that through the lens, right? So if you have sons, um, during the teen years, they are going to be cued into what the men in their lives are doing, mm-hmm. right? And so if that's dad, that's great. Mm-hmm. If that's um, other dads of their friends, if that's the neighbors, right? If that's church leaders, whatever that looks like, you know, this young man is moving into adulthood and feels this and needs this 
acceptance or recognition mm-hmm. and validation for the men in his life mm-hmm. more so than the mom, right? And is even going to push against mom. Like, that's what I did when I was a boy. Yeah. And now I'm moving towards manhood. And I, I've, I've got to put those things away. And it's it's interesting. I forget which culture it is, but they actually have a rite of passage uh-huh. where um, the the child, the boy, is forcibly taken from his mom. Yeah, like like it looks like a kidnapping, but yeah. it's all staged. Yeah, part of part of her role in the ritual is to make a big deal about like this is Leaving my boy, boy can take him, yeah. and, and all of that. And it's his initiation into manhood. Right. And there's this, you're one of us now. Yeah. Joseph Campbell talks about that, whatever that yeah. culture was, and he yeah. talks about that process. Yeah. Yeah. And and this is I. I Ken, Ken Adams, who we've had on the show a couple of times, um, he'll talk about how one of the, the hardest sacrifices we make for our children is to celebrate their emancipation. Uh-huh. And part of that is going to be them identifying with their gender group. Yes. Um, um, them identifying with their friend group. However, right, some of the reading I've done with daughters, because I mm-hmm. only have daughters, right, is that they need this individuation and they get that by not identifying with mom. Yeah. So... Yeah. Mom gets pushed away regardless mm-hmm. of the gender of the child, mm-hmm. right? And when you cannot take that personal or take that as an insult or think that that's going to be permanent, yeah, right? I think you're going to do better as a mom if mm-hmm. you're like, I didn't do anything. Like, why are you pushing against yeah. me? And just say, no, this, this mothering that has happened and hopefully started young, in order for them to feel like they can grow up, I have to give them permission. Yeah. To move away from me, right? All of my kids during their teen years, um, all of a sudden, dad knew better mm-hmm. than even me, right? Mm-hmm. And and there were things that, like, they may have asked me um, in our family. Um, I'm better at, like, English subjects and, like, spelling and writing essays and stuff like that, right? And all of a sudden, my husband during high school, he's like, why are they coming to me, <laughs> right? <laughs> he's like... I never, I never won spelling bees. I did win spelling bees, right? And he's just, and I'm just like, I don't know. They're just pushing against me. I'll just be in the other room, right? Yeah. Well, and that that interaction there, that I think this is a legitimately difficult thing for mothers, and it's so like so much easier said than done to say don't take it personal because uh-huh. it is deeply personal. Like you, it is. You carried this human in your body. Right. right. You've literally months. given your heart and soul and right. body to this person right. who now says, thanks, I've got to go. So so part of the support you need, <clears throat> and this is part of the healing in the family and the amends in the family, um, I think when mothers are going through this, they need a partner to grieve that mm-hmm. with. And, and I think too, right, daughters um, are moving into having these romantic, um, sexual, um, hopefully healthy, Mm -hmm. committed relationships with men. Mm -hmm. They need that with their dad during those years, right? He is going to have an impact. My husband used to say to me all the time, that's a lot of pressure for me. Mm -hmm. Like, and I would just say, I'll do what I can to support you, Mm -hmm. but just know it's going to be the two of us talking in our room about that. Not me out there. Or, or, I mean, they may witness things in our relationship. Mm-hmm. Our kids have witnessed things about our relationship mm-hmm. that sets this template. Like this is what's normal yeah. between a man and a woman. Yeah. To their face, you celebrate the emancipation right. and then maybe you go in your room with your partner or your spouse, or if you're a single parent, you have that support person uh-huh. that you fall apart with and right. you, you get to grieve that. Yeah. Um, and I, I think parents need to grieve that. Yeah. that and, pushing and, away. and, you can grieve that and you can understand and not resent the other one who's having to pick up more. Yeah. 
yeah. right? That you're not saying that this doesn't become a divisive thing bet- mm-hmm. betwi- between, sorry, between the two of you, but instead this is understanding what's happening and the importance of this and yeah. how the two of us who love this kid are going to navigate this in the best way for the child. Mm-hmm. And and let's like I, I may run the risk here of being misunderstood. Um, I, I don't want. I don't want you to think that you have to hustle for your worthiness now right. or hustle for reasons for your child to like you. But I think it is helpful to focus on giving that child valid reasons to have a relationship with you. Yes. And and it's not going to be just mm-hmm. because they're dependent on you. Mm-hmm. You know, I uh, this last weekend I was at a, a workshop, a Mother and Mesh Men workshop, and one of the participants we were talking about... Um, we were talking about relationships with fathers Mm -hmm. and he was saying one of the best investments I ever made. Um, they got their son, a Jeep Wrangler when he started driving and this kid's off-roading and having a lot of fun. And this was a passion of the dad, Mm. you know, way back when. And the son came to him one day and said, I'd really like to go Jeeping with you. Mm -hmm. Um, and he wanted to do like two Jeeps so they can, you know, pull each other and all that. And the dad said, I spent $10,000 on a used Jeep Wrangler. And he said, that is the best $10,000 <laughs> I have ever spent. Um, and it doesn't have to be like you spend money to find there. But listen to what's going on in your child's world. Right. And show them that you're willing to join them there yeah. if they want to invite you in. And and going along with, right, this has kind of helped me. It's kind of a car analogy. But as a parent, like, I am in the passenger seat at this point. Yep. Which is not a bad thing, right? And because they are heading right towards adulthood. Mm-hmm. And so have where, where they're not going to have a passenger, right? Mm-hmm. Or it may not be you all the time mm-hmm. um, unless you're invited in. But just recognizing, right, that you are in the passenger seat, that doesn't mean, you know, that it's it's never helpful if you've taught your kid to drive to get real reactionary and gasp or, or be startled, <laughs> right, when they're driving. That doesn't work well. Um, and, and so you've got to, you know, buckle up and give them confidence that the will is yours and I'm here and it might get bumpy. We might run over some curbs, but you got this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another part we wanted to talk about, um, by this point, there's definitely overt sexual development Uh going on and, um, that's going to trigger a lot of things, uh, for you as well. Um, some of your body shame Mm -hmm. may come up during Mm -hmm. this time. Some of your shame around sexual sexuality and sexual development, Mm -hmm. Um, may come at this time. You um, sometimes, too, I, I will say, as you're talking, right, sometimes we see the obvious ways, but I see this just in the moms that I work with and moms that I know, too. Like, there can be this phase for daughters, right? Um, not all girls go through this, but a lot of girls go through this. R- right before puberty, they gain a lot of weight. Yeah. And a whole lot of body shame comes up mm-hmm. for mom, right? Because mm-hmm. there is this pressure on moms to have beautiful, thin daughters like that like the society tells us to. And then during these years, oftentimes there's some growth and different things that happen. And so a lot of that weight may be shed, Mm -hmm. right? And all of a sudden we have these beautiful daughters and we use that, we use their beauty and their body in order to validate us as a mother. And we can't do that. That's super powerful what you just said. Um, because I, I think when we are unsure and ungrounded in who we are and what we have, we uh-huh. will gravitate to it in other people. Right. And there will be a tendency to want to use that. Um, and it may not be this 
like great her body's mine now right. thing. It can be this. It comes from the fear and the insecurity. Yeah. That maybe like I I'm not really proud of my body, but mm-hmm. look at my daughter mm-hmm. and her she has an incredible body, mm-hmm. right? Or you talk about this in your mother mesh workshop where maybe mom um is like she has this handsome son Mm -hmm. who is developing into this good looking man Mm -hmm. with a young body you Mm -hmm. know broadening shoulders whatever that looks like and mom may be overtly or covertly Mm -hmm. sexualizing him yeah yeah so i think when it comes to that space of sexual development there's a there's a balance to be had Mm -hmm. um i i don't think when when teens are going through this that they want to be completely alone because some of this stuff like freaks them out right um, some of this, the the changes that happen, and um, we have regular talks about menstruation at my house. Right, and my husband has long since given up asking us to do that, not in his presence. Right, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just an ongoing conversation mm-hmm. with you know five mm-hmm. women in the household. So, so I I think there's a need <laughs> for support, but again, it has to be that passenger seat type support, mm-hmm. um, invitations to mm-hmm. conversations. Um, and that that invitation, I think, needs to be clear and direct without being intrusive, mm-hmm. without being guilt-inducing. Um, and I, as all things with, you know, sex and money, we can throw money in here, too. Like, mm-hmm. your team may have a job. Yeah. And they may be... Or they saving, may not have a job. Or they may not have a job, and you really <laughs> want them to have a job. Um, you know, money and sex are some of the hardest things to talk about in a relationship. Uh-huh. And the teen years are an opportunity for you to firmly come alongside and um, demonstrate to your teen, your child, mm-hmm. um, that you would like to help them with what you can help them with. Yes. And if you're noticing patterns that are concerning to you, you may look back into their upbringing before they hit the teen years mm-hmm. and say, where did this message come from? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm noticing their relationship with money or I'm noticing their relationship mm-hmm. with sex or whatever it is. Or food, right? Mm-hmm. And and it concerns me. Mm-hmm. And I've got to look back at the origins of that because mm-hmm. the origins are not teen. Yep. And I may have to decide how am I going to approach this in a way with these last few remaining years before they're hitting adulthood. Um, how, how do we maybe change that message? And, and you probably need to ask your teen some questions right. about what that storyline is in their head because... You may look through their life story and say, this doesn't make sense. I can't uh-huh. place this. And so there's there's the, if, if any of us are capable of viewing reality objectively, there's the objective yep. reality of what happened. But really what shapes what we believed is the perceived reality. Yes. And so you have to be able to find out what that child's perceptions are. Uh-huh. And what shaped those perceptions, and then not to be overcome with guilt, like oh, I didn't catch this sooner, or yeah. I should have known. And and especially when they're young, um, their perception of what's going on is oftentimes over exaggerated. Mm-hmm. It can be highly skewed, yeah, because they're so young. Yeah, but that is their perception, and that mm-hmm. seems like truth to them. Mm-hmm. And you can't be offended by that, right? Yeah. But you may have to go back and kind of have some of these. Like, oh, yes, I can see where that came from. Let me t- let me yeah. share with you what actually was happening during that time. It's it's really interesting. When I was about 30, I finally started having, like, a what I would consider a brother relationship with my brother. Uh. Um, and it, it started because I talked him into keeping bees with Oh, me. right. Yeah, okay. And um, so we're out building hives one day, and I, I had said, I think this is the first time we've worked together on something that we haven't fought. And he's like... 
I mean, should we fight? This kind of feels <laughs> weird. Um, but during those times that we were we were tending the hives, um, we would talk a lot. And um, he was a really angry guy. And when when we were growing up, and um, I, I would say I hated him. How much older? Uh, he's two and a half years older okay. than me. And um, I, I would legitimately say I, I hated him. And one day we were talking about anger. And one of the things that he would say, I remember this probably from the time he was 12 up until like 19. He'd say, nobody loves me in this mm-hmm. family. And I remember thinking at the time, well, like, I feel loved. Like, you're crazy. This is, uh-huh. this is the problem with you. And we were talking more in depth about that. And he told me the story of how that formed. And um, I thought, that makes a lot of sense. Uh. And I can actually see that. Um, that, wasn't my, that wasn't my perception, and that wasn't what I was focused right. on. But now that you tell me that's how that story got put together for you, like I can totally see that. And it makes sense mm-hmm. to me why you were angry mm-hmm. and why you didn't feel loved. And um, why you were mean. And why you were so mean, right? And um, it's those kind of conversations that, again, I think it can surprise us that teens are capable yes. of that. And no. Right. Mm-hmm. They can they can start mm-hmm. to say this is what was happening and mm-hmm. this is where that came from. Mm-hmm. And and it's kind of it's another manifestation of like, oh, well, they were like when I didn't think they were aware of anything, mm-hmm. they were. And they remember that and they're mm-hmm. they're starting to connect some dots and maybe incorrectly connecting mm-hmm. dots in the teen years. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're connecting those. And like you said, mm-hmm. I can have those conversations and they'll they'll share that if you can hold space that's not judgmental. Right. If you can hold curiosity. Um, and if you can work on the other aspects of the relationship that help uh-huh. them to feel safe. Right. Um, this, I, this is the last point that I had, and maybe we'll want to talk about other things after this, but um, this is also a time where you might consider a more, a more full disclosure mm-hmm. of what happened mm-hmm. in addiction um, yes. with your children. Yeah. Um, and I think... Again, still age-appropriate, right? Mm-hmm. But for some of them, age-appropriate is going to be almost all of the information. Yeah, yeah. Like when, when they're really little, something like mom hurt dad or dad hurt mom and we're having to work on uh-huh. things. That's something that a five-year-old will be like, oh, that makes sense. Because when I hurt somebody on the playground, like I have to go say I'm sorry. Right. And sometimes it takes time and all that. Um, as they get older, they're in relationships that are complicated and they understand what some of that hurt is. They may uh-huh. understand like my, my best friend moved in on my girlfriend yeah. and hurt our relationship. Yes. Um, um, they're going to, most kids now, um, by the time they're teens, they know pornography. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's not going to be something that's out of their mm-hmm. life. Right. Like they're aware of that. I would say they know sex to, um, probably to a degree that, as a general rule, I would say parents aren't comfortable with, but they right. know it. Yes. Um, and I think it sets them up for um, better emotional health and relational success uh-huh. later in life for them to know the story, the fullness of the story, uh-huh. just about as soon as they're ready to hear it. Yes. Um, be- and I would just add with this, right? I mean, I think we've talked about this in other ages and what consent looks like and mm-hmm. how we're teaching that with our mm-hmm. kids throughout their growing up years. Um, teens is also going to be really important. And mm-hmm. that can be hard as a parent um, because you just want them to do what you want. And sometimes they will just say no to say no, right? Right. But when we're talking about disclosure, you've got to get their consent. Yeah. And yeah. if they're coming to you and they're asking, mm-hmm. um, you know, you may have to ask some questions like, 
How much do you want to know? Mm-hmm. Are, do you think you're ready mm-hmm. for this? Right. But then I, I'm remembering this story and th- my kid was younger, but, um, she came to my husband and was just saying, dad, I, I really want to know if the tooth fairy is real. And he was like, oh yeah, you do. And she was like, yeah, I just, I just really need to know. And he was like, well, how would you feel if the tooth fairy wasn't real? And I told you that. No, I just, I really need to know. <laughs> I just need to know. And so he said, the tooth fairy isn't real. Like, how could you tell me that? Like, I wasn't ready. Right? And and so some, and all we can do is say, I asked you if you yeah. wanted to know. Yeah. Here's the information. So you may, just because they ask doesn't mean they're fully ready. And you can ask some questions about that and just say, how is this going to impact you? How is this going to impact schoolwork? Like, I'm, I'm not saying I won't mm-hmm. give it to you, but you do need to weigh getting some heavy information and we can yeah. have that discussion. Yeah. And this, I think this is part of your responsibility as the parent and opportunity <clears throat> as the parent, um, being able to say, we might need to pace these conversations. Mm-hmm. We're going to need to have a lot of conversations mm-hmm. around this. Um, so, you know, right now I'll give you a piece to chew on and let's talk about that. Right. And let's see what else comes up. Um, but I, I find there's only been a handful of teens that I've worked with who haven't been curious about their family story. And, and, and didn't have some sense of it, mm-hmm. right? I mm-hmm. mean, oftentimes I think our clients are surprised. We will often say, I think your kids know. Yeah. They, ah, know, they, they know, know something. They can't know. And We've they're, so they're often surprised. We aren't really surprised anymore right. when they come back in and say, this is what my kids know. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, yeah, okay, let's start with that. Yeah. Um, but oftentimes parents are surprised that kids have narrowed in on what's happening. Yeah, yeah. I think that's it for this episode. Okay. The end of this episode, we want to remind you that your story matters. Remember, there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story till it's finished. You can share your story with us on our Facebook page, Healing Paths, Inc., or on our website, www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. And remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.